Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. I was introduced as a member of the mission team, and uh, so I would just, uh, we have uh, a couple of videos from other missionaries that we support, and I'd like those videos to roll at this time, please. Good morning, Meadowbrook Fellowship. Um, We just wanted to share a little bit about ourselves and kind of what's happening in our lives right now. So we are Dave and Mel Berg, and we, along with our three kids, have been serving in Central Asia for the last seven years. because of visa issues, we were forced to come back to Canada in December. And so we saw many of you at Christmas time, which was great. And um, since then, we've moved, we've been in Saskatchewan and um, just spending the last couple of months. Um, I guess, well, taking time to heal and just to really. Um, refocus and re-energize ourselves, I guess, and also just spending a lot of time in discernment and asking God what is next for our family. So as we're kind of figure out what's next. We've been in communication with our team members in Central Asia who are dealing with the same issues that we are, and they're looking at different possibilities of acquiring a visa and they continue to run into closed doors and so this has forced us to consider other options so right now with along with our organization we are discerning if there are other locations that could be possible for us so along with them we're looking at the turkic world possibly germany or austria where we can still get into turkey but where there's a large turkish population So we appreciate your prayers. We thank you for your support during this time. And we will keep you posted as to our next steps. Hi. Hi. Hi, everybody. Today is Friday. We are together at house here in Thailand. We would like to thank you for your support and we would like to uh, ask you to pray for us continually because um, it's another few more months we're going to go back to Canada and I would like you to um, pray for the new believers and I would like to you ask you to uh, continue to uh, pray for our family as well as we are in Thailand and Sarah have a, a go to a private school right now and uh, we would uh, like to um, uh, pray for that and because uh, she uh, missing her school in Canada and also we would like to um, ask you to um, uh, pray for um, those uh, people that just accept the Lord last week and we want you to um, uh, continue to ask the Lord to uh, for those people we have been training every um, every um, uh, Tuesday and uh, Thursdays, and uh, as a discipleship trainings for those people, just new believers. And I would like, uh, I hope everything will be going well according to the Lord's plan. And I would like to say thanks again for all of you that support us. And we are so grateful to serving the Lord over here in Thailand. Thank you very much. God bless you all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
Okay, that was putting that video together for Sandy was a big deal. That's kind of a hard thing for him to do, and he looks a little bit tentative in there. But <clears throat> I'm, I'm also happy to report to you um, that I was, I was actually looking at an email that he had sent me this morning. And uh, there's a picture in there of these 11 people that have come to know the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> I was looking at the email, and all of a sudden my phone rings. It's a 3-3 number. It's got to be Somdi. So I answer the phone, and it was Somdi. He had baptized 10 people this morning. <laughs> so isn't that awesome? That makes all of the donations and everything so much more worthwhile. There is some tremendous stuff going on there. He said he hopes to have a group of 25 by the time he comes back in two months. And uh, MB Mission is sending another worker into, into the area there to follow up. Um, with him, there's Ed and Ingrid Russell, our veteran missionaries who will sort of take over after uh, Somdi comes back here for a while. So uh, things, those people are going to be looked after. I think the things are falling into place. So, um, and please also remember Dave and Mel. They're going through some difficult times right at this point, and uh, please pray for them as uh, they are uh, going through some... Uh, um, trying times, just trying to discern what's next. And our speaker for this morning, his name is Derek Parento, and he is a C2C network pastor um, to First Nations people in Parry Sound, Ontario, and that's, uh, that's what he does. And uh, Derek is married. He and his wife Tiffany have three children. They are Nathan, Mackenzie, and Liberty, or Libby for short. And uh, Derek was first here at this church approximately two and a half years ago, and we were sitting together as a mission team, and we were wondering, how do we elevate prayer for missions uh, in our church? So I volunteered to contact our missionaries once a week and uh, talk to them, or at least try and get in touch with them and find out what the concerns were and put all these concerns into a list, which uh, got, got distributed and uh, prayed over and then updated about a week later. Now, uh, you can get on that distribution by talking to me. I don't just send that to anyone, but if you, if you would like to get a copy of that and you have an email address, I would be more than happy to add you to that list. So anyway, the initial contact was by email, and it moved eventually to uh, text and phone calls. And in the process of talking to Derek, and also to Eric Rose, uh, but a little bit more Eric, uh, we became very, very close, and uh, Eric, or Derek, we have worked through some really interesting issues, some that were very happy and joyful, some that were very sad, some that were just downright scary, scary. and uh, I'm talking about the unseen realm here in some of these, if you don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, some very uh, interesting things. And in doing so, like I said, we have become very close, and... Uh, uh, so, Derek, it's, it's an honor to welcome you to come and speak to us here this morning. Thank you, Will. Uh, it's great to, to be here again. I can't believe how much time has passed since we were here last. Uh, we've become, like Wilf was saying, uh, we might have been a while since we've been here, but we've, our relationship with Meadowbrook has been growing. 
uh, even from a distance. And uh, the, the prayer support and financial support, but especially the prayer support, we really value from this church. Uh, I think in the past, we struggled to get a prayer network up and going, and we'd send out occasional prayer letters, and it's kind of hard to know if people are praying on the other end of those. And uh, when Wilf kind of initiated this weekly thing, and uh, Meadowbrook became kind of the center of our prayer hub, uh, and man, did things change. We, we noticed a night and day difference uh, when you folks started to intentionally and regularly and specifically come alongside us in prayer. And uh, my wife and I have often said we kind of felt alone in our work uh, until this prayer group started. And even though I don't know most of you, I can just say that I feel directly connected and I can just see a night and day difference uh, when you folks pray. Uh, and pray specifically. And I just want to thank you from the, for that from the bottom of my heart. There's many people that you'll have never meet, but have been incredibly blessed by your prayers. I was thinking, um, just as Wolf was talking there, I don't know if anyone's seen this movie. I don't know if it's an MB-appropriate movie or not, but uh, Hacksaw Ridge, has anyone seen that movie? Okay, a few people. Uh, that movie just hit me as a great metaphor for missions and sharing the gospel and all kinds of things. But there's a part in the movie where there's these soldiers, and it's in World War II, and there's this huge cliff, and the battlefield's up on the cliff. And before they go in, they call in, and some big guns somewhere you can't see start booming, kind of level the battlefield so they can stand a chance to get up this cliff without being cut down. I, think, I often think of Meadowbrook. When I, when I saw that movie right away, I thought, you know, it's like calling in the big guns. You know, I call Wilf, and then he kind of like calls in. And then I kind of stand a fighting chance. But, you know, that might sound silly, but I can tell you, I was getting chewed up and spit out a lot more before you guys started praying. I know it's a significant difference uh, now. I just want to thank you uh, very, very much for that. Uh, with that said, I'm not actually talking about prayer today. Uh, but I just kind of want to share that and thank you and ask you to keep going with that because we, we need that desperately. So um, many of you heard me speak before, so I'm not going to spend too much time talking about what we do, but I will for a little bit for those of you who uh, are just meeting you today. My wife and I, we've been up where we are for a bit over five years now, I guess about five and a half years. Uh, we moved from Toronto uh, to the Perry Sound area, and we work among the Ojibwe people group, uh, and also uh, newly in the last while, we started working with the Mohawks uh, as well as one Mohawk community where we are. Uh, and so we've been serving there for a number of years. The first couple of years, we spent most of our time building trust. There's a lot of huge trust issues because there's a lot of brokenness. Uh, if you kind of think about it, you know, we've been in the backyard of First Nations people for, you know, about 400 years. And there's not necessarily a lot of fruit that we've seen there. And a lot of the fruit that we have seen uh, has been, we've kind of yielded fruit and then trampled all over it with some horrific mistakes the church has made uh, over the last few hundred years with residential schools and other issues like that. Uh, because of that, um, there's very, very low trust level. It's, it's very hard to connect. Uh, in fact, there's a movement uh, of First Nations communities very explicitly banning Christian presence and outsiders more and more and more now. A lot of my friends are getting, uh, not unlike our friends that were up on the screen, a lot of my friends now are getting uh, kicked out of communities uh, because of political issues. And so uh, it's a difficult area to serve, but in that we've just seen God do incredible things. I've uh, seen house churches started. Part of our approach is to um, plant a network of house churches that would be connected with each other, but yet kind of have their own freedoms. They're meeting in people's homes. It's low budget and low key, and also encourages local leaders 
that's another big focus for us is to not have a ministry that's so dependent on us that if we left, it would kind of fall flat. That's happened a lot in the context of First Peoples before. Uh, because it's built up so big and so expensive uh, and so much on the back of a missionary or pastor that it's not very locally rooted. We want to locally rooted with local leaders. And house churches help, help grow that. It's kind of more fertile soil. So we've been able to see the Lord uh, save lots of people and see people baptized. And these house churches raise up and leaders starting to grow. And uh, we just praise God for all that we've seen. It's sometimes, uh, it's just such a privilege to be part of it. And I definitely didn't see ourselves where we are now five years ago. Uh, so God is good and doing incredible things. I was thinking in preparation for today as I was praying about what the Lord might want me to share. I, I thought of a conversation I'd had with one of our leaders. Uh, and most of our folks come out of pretty difficult backgrounds. You know, this particular young leader, uh, they're about, you know, in their early 30s, uh, has come out of, she's a single mom, you know, she's come out of incredible addiction, Uh, she's come out of significant mental health diagnoses, poverty, she's got a horrible reputation in the community for promiscuity and violence and all kinds of stuff, drug use. Uh, She's come out of this background, come to faith, been to been following Jesus for about a year, and it seemed as though the Lord was opening up the door for her to start a house church among her friends and family. And it was kind of clear that these things were starting to come together, and people were almost asking her for it. And so we were talking about that, praying together, and she just kind of turned to me and said, I just don't know if I'm ready yet. And that really stuck out to me, as I resonated with that all the times in my life that I felt the Lord was opening up a door, and I just felt like, I'm just not ready yet. I need to spend more time getting ready. And it was an honest statement, and it, we kind of started to work through that. And I just was thinking about that for today, and I just want to ask you that question. How ready do you need to be to go and make disciples? Now, that, going and make disciples can be across the world, uh, like some of our friends on the screen. It can be across the street, and it can be in your own home and among your own close friends and family. But how ready do you need to be to go and make disciples? That's a big question. It may not seem like a big question, but my experience in my own life, in the life of my First Nations friends, but also as I speak at churches like this, is probably the number one reason I hear for people that they're not doing it yet is because they're not ready. Very rare do you meet a person like, nope, not for me. I'm not telling people about Jesus. I don't think I've ever heard somebody say that. Uh, but what you usually hear is, I'm just not ready yet. And I just would like to kind of challenge that maybe a little bit today and look at a bit at what the scripture says about how ready we need to be to be able to go and make disciples. I'm going to turn to First uh, Corinthians. Uh, we don't have any uh, PowerPoint today. I'm a bit of a low-tech person. So uh, if you want to turn to First Corinthians chapter 2 or you're welcome to just listen along as well. Uh, so First Corinthians chapter 2 and this is the Apostle Paul speaking here. And of course, you know, for any of you who've been in church for a while, you know that Apostle Paul is looked at as kind of the, the cream of the crop missionary. He kind of like set the bar for taking Jesus to places where people had not heard the name of Jesus before. You know, we know him as a bold man, a man who saw lots of fruit in ministry uh, and kind of initiated this mission movement uh, among the early disciples that took the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so Paul here is writing a letter to the Corinthians, which was a church he had just newly planted in a culture that wasn't his own. So this is from a different culture, new believers. And this is what he's saying here, 
uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, when I, came, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. So in this passage, I see a lot of things. You know, at the very end there, when it's talking about how he uses the wise words for mature believers, you know, that makes sense. That's what we're used to in churches. We have incredible pastors who are well-trained and godly people who come and try to help us mature in our faith. And Paul's saying, that's good. You know, it gets the thumbs up. And Scripture has standards for spiritual leaders in the church. But the first section there, he's talking about what most of us are most of the time. It's people going out and telling others about Jesus. It's making disciples. And here's this list here. I just want to kind of go over this and ask if you've ever felt any of these things. Have you ever felt like you didn't know lofty words or impressive wisdom to pass on to people, the non-believers in your life? Have you ever felt like you forgot everything you knew to just remember that there was something really important about Jesus and you needed to say that? Have you ever felt like you were coming in weakness, timid and trembling? Have you ever felt like your speech and your preaching were very plain, not very clever and not very persuasive? Well, here Paul's coming to the Corinthians saying, I did that on purpose. That there's something powerful about coming simply and humbly, even in fear and trembling. You know, I think that a lot of times people will come to me and say, Derek, you're this missionary and you've seen these people come to faith. You must be a really gifted evangelist. I always tell people the same thing, and it's true. I'm not a gifted evangelist at all. I get nervous every single time I tell somebody about Jesus. I, I just kind of, out of a sense of obedience, try to go and do that. But it doesn't mean that those who do it uh, have that credible courage. And even Paul here, he says he was timid and trembling. Apostle Paul. I, I think that should be encouraging for some of us. He came, and what was the one thing that he brought, though? He focused only on Christ crucified and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that we all have. We all have a a simple, plain message, and if we're followers of Jesus, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We all have access to this, and we can all do it all the time, despite how we feel. In some ways, reading this list, you might think Paul wasn't very prepared. He wasn't very ready yet. But obviously he was, and God worked in powerful ways as God's name was lifted high. It made me think of uh, just yesterday, I'd already kind of been planning to talk this way, and yesterday I had this opportunity in the morning before I drove up here, I got invited to go uh, fishing with some of my friends. After where we are now, the rivers are flowing real good, and so it's spawning season. So we're off of Georgian Bay, and a lot of the fish come up and spawn at the bottom of like waterfalls and rapids and things like that. And so the pickerel are running right now. Uh, and so for indigenous people, they have the right, uh, as part of their uh, treaty status, to go and spearfish. So it's a tradition. Every year, at this time of year, for a few weeks, they go to this camp in this one community. Uh, but it's very hard, you know, as white people, uh, they, they don't really want folks around. It's really like a cultural thing. 
uh, and it's very hard to get there. In fact, there's a lot of conflicts, even armed conflicts where I am, for them trying to keep other people out. But I got an invite this year, which is really cool because I've never been invited to go. So we hiked in about an hour, so an hour through the bush along this kind of rugged trail, got to this waterfall in the middle of the bush, and uh, the fish were just thick there. you could almost walk across the river on the fish. There were so many fish. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And they were spearfishing, and we were having a good day, and uh, we had a fire going, and we're we're hanging out. And uh, at one point, we ended up sitting around the fire, and some standing, some sitting, and everybody was drinking and had a beer in their hand, and they were telling kind of... uh, the kind of crude stories that sometimes men tell when they're drinking and standing around a fire and there's not many women around, uh, and kind of going on and carrying on. And in the midst of it, this one guy who I just met that day, he was sitting there with his beer, and all of a sudden he stopped and he looked at me and said, Pastor, I have a question for you. I said, oh, what's that? He's like, is me drinking this beer a sin? And everybody had been kind of carrying on, and they're all drinking. All of a sudden everyone stops at once, and they're like, all looking. And let me tell you, the timid and trembling, the lack of clear words, the not very having anything too much more than plain to say, I was very much in that kind of a moment. So I just kind of said a quick little prayer in my heart uh, and just said, you know what? Probably depends on why you're drinking it. But let me tell you, you know, if it is a sin, uh, you're not alone. We all sin and God loves us enough that he forgives you know, he offers forgiveness to us all. And so he kind of stopped and thought about it for a minute. And then he's like, you sin? I said, yeah. And he said, what sins do you do? <laughs> and all these guys took that one more step closer. And they were like, oh. it was so rowdy a few minutes earlier. You could hear a pin drop now in the woods by this waterfall and all these fish. And they're all looking at me. And I thought, you know, if I just pull something out, like sometimes I forget to read my Bible or I get a little frustrated with my kids, it's not going to cut it. That's not the kind of stories that people have just been sharing. So, you know, I dug deep and was really honest about struggles I've had in my life and was able then to witness to how Jesus saved me, forgave me, and redeemed me walking me through that and be able to share that later on as we were hiking out. The gentleman who had asked the question, he came up to me and said, you know, I'd like it if you come by sometime. Maybe we could talk a little more about that. You know, it was just an incredible opportunity. But, you know, the reason I share that story, I mean, that just happened yesterday, but really I did not come in any sense of strength or knowing what I was doing in any way whatsoever. I was definitely not comfortable. Uh, I definitely was a little timid and trembling, not sure what the reaction was going to be. But you know what? Paul says we're not alone with that feeling. He also says that all those feelings of not being ready or prepared are not much of an excuse. Let me read a little bit more here. Uh, if we backtrack just a few verses, still in 1 Corinthians, but the chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So he gives another list here that's about as humbling as the first. Not wise, not powerful, not wealthy, not looked upon highly by the world. Paul says, if those are any words that describe you, then you are a perfect match 
for going and making disciples and declaring the saving grace of Jesus. In fact, he says, the less qualified you appear, the higher the name of Jesus gets lifted. So, I mean, this kind of does something to us, because all of our excuses that we make, myself included, because I make plenty of them regularly, Paul actually says, those things actually make you a better witness as long as you're able to point to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't let any of those things hold you back. You need to keep moving forward. You know, not only was I unprepared yesterday for this moment and did not feel ready, I can't even really think of anything I could have done to get ready. And what would you have done to prepare for a moment like that? I'm not really sure. Uh, And sometimes we spend so much time preparing for something that we miss the moments that God is giving us that are right in front of our face. And I think, you know, really what I hope to express to all of you today is God has not called us to witness out of our strength. He's called us to witness out of obedience. We don't witness because we have all the answers and have all the strength and have all the gifts. We witness because Jesus asked us to. Obedience is the foundation of mission, not gifting and strength. We need to, of course, when you have strength, you have gifting, you have words, you have training, well, praise the Lord. You know, go and use that for God's glory. But those aren't the foundation of mission. The foundation of mission is obedience. And the beautiful thing about obedience is it's something that every one of us have the power to do at any time, no matter what we've come out of or what's going on in our life. You always have the power to say yes or no. And when Jesus says, go and make disciples, we're all presented every day with numerous opportunities to either say, yes, I'll be obedient, or no. Ready or not ready isn't really the question that Jesus is wanting us to act. In fact, my experience would be, as you step out in obedience, the Lord will increasingly equip you and encourage you and invest in uh, your growth as as an evangelist and as a sharer of the good news. I know many times when I do step out in obedience, I mean, some of the times I see God work in incredible ways, and other times I kind of strike out a little bit. It doesn't quite go the way that I would expect. And when that happens, you know what I end up doing? I end up reading my Bible more, praying more, and going to people for more wisdom. It kind of sounds like discipleship a little bit, doesn't it? And God disciples us through our obedience, not in preparation for obedience. You can't prepare to be obedient. You just are or you're not. We have those choices to make story that stuck out to me from the scripture to illustrate this is in Mark chapter 5. Uh, in Mark chapter 5 is the story of the man possessed with the legion of demons. Now listen along with me here uh, to this man and the decisions he had to make in saying yes or no to Jesus in Mark chapter 5. It says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into the chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send him to some distant place. 
There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So that man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he had told them. You know, I love this story. In the community where I serve, this is one of our, always our key go-to passages. You think of this man and all that he was going through. You know, by the looks of him, right up to that point of encounter with Jesus, no one would have looked at him and said, here's a person who's going to be used mightily by God. Here's a person who's ready and equipped and fit. Here's this man in the burial tombs and cutting himself and just possessed by this legion of demons. And then Jesus sets him free. And when everyone else starts begging Jesus to go because they're afraid of this power that Jesus has kind of unveiled that he has, they're begging Jesus to go away. And this man is begging to go with Jesus. And that's the exact right thing. We're as disciples, we're followers of Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I want to go with you. That's like A plus, Christianity 101. Like, that's the right answer. And Jesus says, no. And said, go tell your family about the wonderful things that God has done for you. And if you look through the kind of chronology of the New Testament, you see that this man was sent very specifically by Jesus to go share the good news before the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where it says, go and make disciples of all nations. Before the sending out of the 70 in Luke chapter 10. Before the sending out of the 12 in Luke chapter 9. In fact, as far as I can tell, the very first person that Jesus intentionally commissioned to go out and share the good news was this man. Before Peter, before John, before them all, this man is sent. Now, Jesus was preparing the 12 disciples for not only being a witness, but also being leaders within the community. It was a little different. But this man had a calling on his life and was to go and tell people about the wonderful things God had done. And if anyone had an excuse to say, I'm not ready yet, Lord, this man would have had it, right? Imagine a few hours freed from the power of the evil one and in the grace of Jesus and being sent on a mission. Go and tell them. And uh, the man does it, though. He says, yes, we're all qualified to be obedient. And obedience is the foundation of mission in our lives. Recently, this story came very alive to me. uh, And some of you were a part of that story through the prayer network. Um, the young woman who I'd known for several years, uh, just kind of at a distance and been witnessing to, called me up at the beginning of the year and uh, asked for some prayer. And I went over to visit with her and her boyfriend. And as we were sharing, the, I was sharing the good news and praying with them, um, something demonic, very demonic manifested. And it was quite, uh, quite the battle there. And at the end of it, Jesus set her free from three evil spirits, much like this man. And she was set free in a very dramatic fashion. Uh, And right as soon as she was freed, she went to me and said, I want to get baptized. 
So three days after she was set free, given her heart to Jesus, she went and was baptized. Right after her baptism, practically just getting out of the water, uh, literally like before we'd left where we'd done the baptism, she said, I've got this music going through my head. Let me play it for you. She picked up a guitar and started singing worship songs that she, God was giving her right there on the spot. And she was writing this new music uh, to, worship, to worship Jesus. Less than a week later, I was starting a new service in this Mohawk community, kind of a church service, and it was going to be our first one. And uh, she's not Mohawk, this lady. She's Ojibwe. And uh, so this is a different culture and a different community, and she didn't know a single person there. She said, I want to come. I need to come and tell them what Jesus did for me. So she came and shared her testimony, and for the first time sang in front of people. Not only did she sing in front of them, she sang the songs that Jesus had just given her a week earlier uh, to this group of people. And God has really poured out his favor on that community and has continued to use my friend in a very, very powerful way. And when I see her and I read this story, it just reminds me that Jesus didn't just do that then. I know sometimes I can feel insecure and think, well, Jesus could pull that off. doesn't mean that uh, I can. You know what I mean? Uh, But here, Jesus is still doing it. That's the thing. This whole encounter with my friend, let me tell you, I had nothing but timidity and trembling and not the right words. Jesus did it all, 100%. I did nothing. If you had been there, you probably would have uh, laughed at how incapable uh, I was through that process. But yet Jesus persevered, did an incredible work, and has sent her out on the same mission that he sent us out on, to go and make disciples. And I think we all have to make that choice, yes or no. I'd like to just kind of read one more passage uh, it'd be just not too far away in Mark chapter 7, verse 31. And here, Jesus, this is taking place after this encounter with this man with the legion of demons. And Jesus has set him free and sent him out. But the townspeople of the area, it was called the Ten Towns or the Decapolis. It was a big region. Had sent, said, no, Jesus, we don't want anything to do with you. And they begged him to leave. Now Jesus goes back. And In terms of the narrative of scriptures, as far as we know, it's the first time he went back. And this is what happens. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. says, Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns. So he's going back. says, A deaf man with a speech, speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, and spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Epiphatha, which means be opened. Instantly the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. I love this because here's the same area where Jesus has been kicked out of. They begged him to leave because they were afraid of the power that he demonstrated and the authority he demonstrated. And now he goes back. They're begging him to heal, refuse to stop talking about the wonderful things that Jesus is doing, and are wanting him to stay. That's a very different reaction, isn't it? In a very short time. What was the difference between Jesus' first visit and the second visit? Well, the man. The man had been going and planting those seeds. This man who obviously had been rejected by his family, he's living among the tombs, chained up, went back to his family, 
went to the whole region sharing the good news that he was equipped to tell because he had experienced it. He knew the power of Jesus. He told the power about the power of Jesus. And now people are begging for the power of Jesus. And Jesus goes back and yields a, a big harvest among this region. The reason I want to finish with that story is that not only are we able to witness out of our obedience instead of our strength, but when we do, it is powerful. It's not just a matter of, well, I can try, but it's not going to be fruitful. We need to go forward with that expectation that when we are obedient to the word and filled with the power of the Spirit, there is going to be a bountiful harvest. God is going to work because he is the one who is going to convict people's hearts. He is the one that is going to bring transformation to people's lives. So I'm just going to pray now uh, in a minute. I just encourage you as I pray to run through the people in your community, in your family, or maybe the people in the world that God may be saying to you, go and tell them about Jesus. And you know that he's saying it, because he's told us, go and make disciples. So who are those people that pop to your mind? Maybe as we're praying, if you could just be praying for those people and asking God for boldness to do that, I'm always encouraged that the apostles in Acts, despite their boldness, prayed for more boldness. And the apostle Paul, at the end of Ephesians, we're talking about the spiritual armor of God, he says, and pray that I would proclaim the gospel boldly as I should. So Paul and the apostles had to pray for boldness. We can't just say, oh, I'm too scared, so I guess I can't do it. I must not be an evangelist. No, they were scared too. You've got to pray for the boldness. And out of obedience, go and do it. Amen? So you'll be thinking that through, and we'll pray as the worship team uh, and Wilf and whoever comes, comes. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Spirit. Lord, we just come to you as your servants. Lord, we're just so humbled by the opportunity to serve in your grace. Lord Jesus, you have done an incredible work in our lives. You have forgiven us. You've set that bar by sending your son, as Pastor Chris said. Lord, you've redeemed us, you've liberated us, you've transformed us, and you've filled us with your spirit, and that is good news. Lord Jesus, please give us a boldness to proclaim the good things that we've seen you do in our lives and around us. Lord Jesus, please give us the words to speak, not our words, but your words. Help us, Lord, to go forward, even in our weakness, ready to even boast about our weakness, if that would make your grace look all the more powerful. Help us, Lord, to lay down all of our excuses for not being prepared. Help us, Lord, to repent of those things, to turn from excuses to obedience. Lord Jesus, I just pray for that blessing of obedience, that you'd give that as a gift, and you'd give people, myself included, everyone here, Lord, by the power of your spirit and the the strength of your grace, the ability to say yes I will share the good news. I will go and make disciples. We pray for this community and beyond where you may be sending folks. Lord Jesus, that you prepare the hearts. Lord, you've said that you go before us, that your spirit is actively involved in this world. You've said that we've gone to reap where we have not sown. Lord, you are already working in people's hearts. We pray for that work in people's hearts, that you would be preparing their hearts as good soil. Uh, that we know, Lord, that there is a harvest coming. Increasingly, you've said that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord, help us to be those workers going into the harvest. Lord, we just lay our hearts down before you. We thank you for saving us. We pray that you'd equip us as witnesses to that saving grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you thank Derek for sharing with us today?
It's, uh, we got to know Derek a little bit at camp this year. I was up there speaking, and Derek and his family were there, and at dinner one night, I was chatting with Derek and Tiffany, and I just said, you guys are the real deal. Uh, just authentic and unpretentious, and everything he's just shared, I guarantee you he's living it out. Uh, I'm just always appreciative every time I talk to you, Derek, of just your heart and just your desire to help and to share the gospel. And we were talking in between the services with some people and saying it's, it's good to be excited about it when you hear it on a Sunday morning, but then tomorrow's Monday and you've got to do something with it then at that point. Uh, so this is something that we're praying into is going to spur us on and move us forward. So we're going to worship a little bit more, and then Wolf is going to come. We're going to pray for Derek and the work that he's doing up in Perry Sound. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, as we get ready to close. Derek, we've been singing about faithfulness, and I, I just wanted to say also the, uh, there's a little story about that because... Uh, our mission committee was looking for a way in which we could more than just prayer support or moral support that we could also financially support Derek and the rugged tree ministry in Perry Sun. So we, we, we worked with that and we, we approached the board of elders and we are going to start supporting Derek financially. But, there, but there's more. But there's more to that story, too. Uh, Derek immediately started telling me about this other church who will also continue to support him financially, but they have restructured. So we are going to, he is going to get less money from that church, but our money will make up the difference. Praise the Lord. Anyway, so we just like to pray for you. Father, we just uh, thank you for Derek and for the work that he is doing. Father, we just ask that he would be given a special measure of your spirit and that you would ordain the conversations that he has with others and that uh, he will continue to uh, bless that first nation those first nations communities in perry sound and uh, that you will raise up many christians in that community who will um, be willing to be called christians who will spread your word to others we just ask that in your name amen Derek's going to hang out here for a bit, so by all means, come on up if you want to chat with him, or uh, he'd be happy to pray with you, I know. And other than that, we're done for the day. Thank you for being here. God bless you, and we will see you next Sunday.